Remakes. Remakes are films that take an existing movie property and put a modern spin on it. There are a lot of remakes that suck. There are other remakes that are actually really good. Then there are some remakes that are so good, they even get their own sequels. My question is, are the remakes of the original movies sequels, are they remakes of those? Like those sequels? Or are they just remake or are they just sequels to this remake? Or are they even are they even a remake in and of themselves? I don't know. We're gonna avoid all those questions on this episode <laughs> of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer What? Hello and welcome. <laughs> Hello and welcome to not another episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast, but a remake oh. of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Who's playing you, Mike? Um, um, Good um, one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I am your host, Insane Mike, and this oh, is episode 305, and we will be talking about sequels Two remakes. Whoa. Wrap your brain around that one. Now, Attack of the Killer podcast is not just a podcast that kills, but it's a horror movie podcast where a group of friends get together with a topic and discuss films within that topic. We're just friends hanging out, thugging and bugging, talking about sequels to remakes. So there may be spoilers. Now, if you like the show, I do recommend you join the Attack of the Killer podcast family that we call the Attackers. And when you become an attacker, you donate to the show and help keep the show going and growing. If you go to jointheattackers.com, you can pick from many different tiers to donate and get the option of various perks and extra content. You can get bonus episodes. You can get our YouTube shows. Your own membership card certificate? What? I just love the way you're talking. (laughs) Okay. You could get your own membership card certificate and sticker. There are t-shirts, original art, and exclusive invites to our monthly horror hangouts, watch parties, and our chat called Attack of the Killer Chat. And there's so much more, like getting shout-outs on the website and on the show, like these fine people right here. We have Timothy Lennerer, Roman Doppelfeld, Larry Wontanabe, Brett Royer, Seth Key, Jessica Irish, Chris Cook, Brian Godsill, Stefan Sitter, Brandy Moore, Andrew Muller, Rod Hutchinson, Carmen DeHaig, Abraham Ariano, Andrew Bentler, Casey Kelderman, Tony Miller, Mike Clayton, Rose Talashoma, Abe Kirshner, Lisa Cavalier, Holly Berg, Emily Randolph, Greg Dietrich, and Dallas Paris. Whoa, what a list. Those people are awesome. So cool. You know what? You can be awesome, too. Just go to jointheattackers.com, pick the tier that best suits you to get the content you want. Again, that website is jointheattackers.com. Go there. Do it now. I'm doing it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce you to the podcast crew. He's pretty disappointed that David Gordon Green is no longer doing the sequel to the new Exorcist film. 
He heard that the film was going to be about a woman hiring the devil to get a priest out of her son. Tad, everybody. I am sort of disappointed. Hey, guys. He's still mad at the makers of the Fast and Furious movies for rejecting his title for the 10th film. He thought it should have been called Fast 10, Your Seat Belts. Nice. Jason. Hey, everybody. Uh, honestly, I do sit around. Honestly, seriously, listen. I sit around trying to think of ways to fuck with this show. I really do. I, I really... Are you trying to be the Corey <laughs> Canny of this podcast? No. Well, somebody's got to be. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. So we all can feel <laughs> your pain when you're trying to host the <laughs> other show? You don't even know how hard it is to oh, host the show. Oh, I listen to it. I know. I can oh, tell. Nightmare. <laughs> So I I knew that you would enjoy the fun of that juggling. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, crack tester plastic. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now that we've all been formally acquainted, I'm going to turn it over to the tad for what we watched. What we well, before we started recording, all of us chatted a little bit about the uh, the current state of things. We're here in Iowa. We're snowed in. We're under like three feet of snow. All of us sort of had some snow days, right? I mean, you guys had a little time off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not as much as me. I mean, I had, uh, yeah, <laughs> like for a school. You're good. four and a half days off in the last seven. So, yeah, I, I had some time to watch some things. So, uh I'll actually have some contributions to this week's... About uh, time. Yeah. So, Jason, what have you been watching? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me before I... I'm t- my mind's blanking. So, I haven't I haven't watched any movies since the last time, but I've been watching a lot of TV. And you recommended a show called Louder Milk. Ah, oh, I got there. Thank God. I was, I was leaving you hanging because it's on my <laughs> list, too. Yeah, I made it through two seasons anyway, as far as I've got. Um, There's only three, so... I'm almost there. It's good. It's great, even. It's by the Fairley Brothers, doing TV. What? Whoa, really? Uh, I know. With Ron Livingston and Will Sasso, it's so fucking good. As, like, besties that are... Roommates. Comedy and roommates and... I wasn't listening to a damn word you said (laughs) till you said Fairley Brothers. What's the name of this again? Louder Milk. Okay. It's on Netflix. It was part of some weird, like, streaming service that no one knew about. And then, I think that was the first two seasons. Then Amazon Prime bought the already produced third. They, they made a third season. Sorry to hijack this, no, Jason. No, take it, please. But they, they made the first two seasons on, like, some, like, Sony streaming service that died pretty quick. But they had already filmed the third season, and they didn't have a home. They didn't have anywhere to put it. Uh, so I think... Prime or somebody here in the U.S. bought it to air it, and then now it's hit Netflix this, like on January 1st, and it's getting this huge wave of popularity. So the hope is that Netflix will pick it up for season four because it's already been written by the Farrelly's, uh, and everybody's ready to come back and film. So uh, that's exciting. I just saw Will Sasso like post about it on Instagram awesome. yes- yesterday that uh, they're actively like in discussions to film because they've like i said they've already had the script and everything is already ready they just need to get the money and get it shot and so this show's great because it's 
such such dark comedy, the darkest of comedy. So I know you'll love it, Mike. Yeah, well, I love the Fairly Brothers. Yeah, so Ron Livingston's a a, a writer who used to write basically for a Rolling Stone type, uh, reviewing bands, going out with bands and stuff. And now he's now he just kind of helps a recovery group. He leads a recovery group. And another reason you'll like this is like. It's such a Fairly Brothers group <laughs> because he just Good. he just found a dozen fucking weirdos, guys without arms, with with still <laughs> still with hands. He's still got hands from his shoulders, yeah. But they're up here. Oh my goodness! And, you know, just he's such a cool dude. Anyway, my my favorite character on the show, I mean, besides uh, Sam Loudermilk, is uh, Brian Regan is one of the yes uh, Muggs, Muggsy. Muggsy god damn it he's the so biggest fucking, fuck up in the world oh, the, biggest, <laughs> the fucking dart episode I will not stop laughing about oh no <laughs> so god and he's and his comedy in general he just is just the dumbest guy you know he plays dumb so well and it's like amplified a million the, times okay, we have to sort of spoil this part because okay. it's so fucking funny he, he shows up to the the aa group essentially with a dart in his head <laughs> just after a, a, yeah after uh, you know going after going on a bender and breaking his sobriety he shows up and they're, they're 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 on this mystery the whole group goes down to this bar to figure out who did this to him and when they get there the bartender's like you fucking did it you idiot <laughs> But like the first ten minutes, they're in group. Nobody says anything, and he's like clueless. This has even happened. So they're all looking at him like, "Are you gonna tell us why you have a dart in your fucking head?" And he's just like, "What's up, guys? Hey, hey, guys. What's what are we talking about today? No clue at all." That sounds awesome, dude. Every yeah, uh, every fucking weirdo in this group has a little gets her a little side story. He has like a recovering uh, like twenty something year old girl sleeping on his couch, uh, and Ron Livingston yeah. is so fucking great in this. He could just be an extension of his office based character, but he is Even like smarter and. He's very smart. He's a music. He's like snarkier. Jason said, a snarky music critic. So he's a huge music snob, the biggest music snob. Um, oh, it's so also snobby. relates to yeah. a, a coffee snob. It's set in Seattle. He's also a coffee snob and uh, just brutally mean to everybody around him. Every he's just opening blunt. scene is him just tearing down somebody. Interacting with someone, yeah. Oh my god, Mike! It's a half an hour show. You'll just blast through. You'd love. You're gonna love it. I think I might know what I'd be doing when I get home. I mean, I love the Fairly Brothers. I love Will Sasso. Oh my gosh, he is. Yeah, I told Jason he reminds me of him because he's like (laughs) the happy like roommate that no matter how mean Ron can Ron's character Louder or Sam Loudermilk can be, he just smiles through it and is like, "All right, Loudermilk, like." goes on with life like you know he just pushes through it and with a smile he's he's like the positive counteractive to the negative <laughs> <Sorry>. dark yeah <laughs> great dynamic and uh yes yeah i'm excited to finish that and then um on apple tv i've been watching this other i was in this sci-fi kick and i kind of was running out of stuff to watch so i started watching for all mankind i feel like maybe i, I mentioned it last time but it's a sh- uh, it's just a drama sci-fi show, um, ten episodes a season, four seasons, and it starts with what if Russia got to the moon first, and then like uh, and then it 
it's subtly, you know, kind of just like what would have happened. And, and, and it doesn't go like super far one way of like being like a full Russian show, but Russia is a big part of the show. Anyway, what's neat about the show is it's the same core group of characters. It's all like no name actors. So that's cool. But every 10 episodes, every new season, they basically jump 10 years ahead or so in the space program. And, and most of these characters make it through the end. And, and so it's, as they're working towards getting to Mars and they, you know, getting to Mars is a big part of the show and it's awesome. And, you know, because the space race and all this stuff. So basically halfway through the show, I'm like, this is, this is just space porn. If people like space stuff, you know, it's all about rockets and moon bases and floating around in space and what gadget and, and physics this and engineer that. And like, it's, it's awesome. It's cool for that. But then, why I'm not going to recommend this show and don't even bother watching it. <laughs> uh, if, that's what Mike's eye rolling sounds like now. If you didn't see it in the video, which there isn't one. So these motherfuckers on the show, third, 40 episodes. They're an hour long, basically 40 oh, hours of the show. Jesus. Isn't that no. sound awesome? Right. Getting invested no. in characters and shut up, Ted. And, uh, <laughs> At the very end of the second to last episode, so 39 hours, at the 39-hour mark, they do this thing that's fucking unforgivable and Band-Aid Sandwich, which is this that's whole show. a bummer. It is. <laughs> not, How are yeah. you not pissed? Oh, my God. I was so fucking pissed. I, I just spite hate watch that last hour. You... I was, <laughs> Then they you spent. Are, you are butt hurt when they do that to you in an hour and a half movie. Exactly. So you can imagine why they can. This show can fuck off. Oh, but, okay. We hadn't gotten to the part where you said the show would fuck. Yeah. You made it sound like you were really into this. I was really into this. This was awesome and so cool and it's such a neat thing and the 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 effects work pretty great and if you like space and ever you know have that little astronaut in you you know always it's cool as fuck. And then the, the character development of this dozen characters that you f are following for 40 hours is awesome because it's not normal to get to see them skip a decade and, and you know, spend 50, 60 years of all these characters' lives. It's neat. And this story arc wasn't just built here at the end. For 39 fucking hours, they were leading towards this thing. And I'm not, well, they clearly fucked that up, but that last hour, maybe I was just so mad. I didn't think that they'd, uh, necessarily answered all the arcs, you know, they didn't explain enough to make me happy. Yeah. So I was super bummed and it could be the end of the series. I mean, you never know cause they do such a big jump, but like everyone's so old now. Mm. It's good. It's a great show. You know, and I think most people can handle that thing that hurts me so deeply. <laughs> God damn it. I mean, and so just me talking about it, you, I'm sure you get what happened, but it was just this storyline that was just incredible and there's nothing like it. It was so potentially incredible and then they fucking fucked it all up. It's called For All Mankind on Apple TV. That's what I watched. <laughs>
Mike, I know we have one in common. Um, so I'll go to yeah. you next, and then we, I can chime in on, on okay. something we both watched. I'll tell you what. I'll save it for last because it's okay. the one I'm most excited about. <laughs> I'm kind of disappointed. I don't have a – I didn't feel like I took enough advantage of that free time. Um, Simon and I uh, – well, we had um, Samantha and the kids down on Sunday to uh, – do our very last of our Christmas stuff. So Aww. that was fun. And it just got to that point, you know, in the day, it's like none of us wanted to do anything. So I started putting movies on. I made my grandkids watch a bunch of Weird Al music videos. And then and then I'm like, oh, Spaceballs, yes. So Simon, Simon and I are literally quoting Spaceballs back and forth while showing it to the grandkids. But then Simon's like, I, I think I want to go on a – john candy kick i'm like oh that sounds great so i'm looking and i clicked on one that i i'd never seen before i didn't even know it existed it's called once upon a time came out in 1992 it's actually even directed by eugene levy which was a rarity i think it's like probably the only real movie he directed he's done some comedy specials and tv shows before but uh Quite a cast, uh, John Candy, Jim Belushi, uh, Sybil Shepard, Sean Young, Richard Lewis. Um, so quite an impressive cast. And it feels a little squandered. I mean, it's okay. Um, you know, it's a murder mystery type of thing, and all these characters are just kind of like dumbass pieces of shit who mm-hmm. all put in themselves in a way worse situation than they needed to be. But it, it's kind of it's kind of funny, um, but it, it's just okay. It's 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 like lukewarm, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but also did finally start watching Good Omen and marathoned those two seasons. Oh. So that was really good. And now now I'm a big David Tennant fan. So, <laughs> so there you go, Brian Clark. I now know the names of two who, Doctor Who's. Uh, so and it's a really good series. I hope they do a third season. I mean, they could leave it where it's at, but I, and I thought I read because I immediately after finishing the second season, I'm like, oh shit, is there gonna be a third? Is there gonna be a third? And and I could have sworn IMDb said there was gonna be a third, so I'm hoping. But it's a really good show. I mean, have you you've guys seen it, right? Good Omens. Nope. No. Oh really? I, mean, I watched the trailer. I think I actually watched an episode or two. But no, I never did keep going. Oh, I I highly recommend it. I mean, it's Neil Gaiman, mm-hmm. um, and uh, what's what's the other oh, what's that fantasy writer's name? Terry Pratchett, I think is his last name. Pratchett nailed it. And uh, they're those two writing together are great. Um, but it definitely has that Neil Gaiman, like let's let's flip religion on its ear. We try to keep. All of the religious, um, you know, things there, try to follow all of it as best we can, but then put like real world and real character spin on stuff. And it's, it's basically, if you guys don't know the show at all, it's basically a uh, relationship between this angel and this demon throughout the course of mankind. And the first season is, you know, way better than the second season where... Um, the Antichrist is coming and and heaven and hell getting ready for their big war and this is going to happen and stuff and the angel and the demon trying to keep 
keep the war from happening because it would mean the end of all mankind and everything. And uh, you got uh, John Hamm in it. He plays, uh, I think, Gabriel the Angel. Um, it's really funny and it's really good. It's really, really smart writing. Um, so I would definitely recommend checking it out. Now I'm all through that. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about, I for once pulled the trigger day one on a movie that I've been looking forward to. Thank you, Shudder. I watched on the opening night. I watched freaking destroy all neighbors. Yeah. Oh, and I freaking loved it. I'm spoiler alert, everybody. This is going to be in my top 10. Yeah. I, I watched it and I'm like, I, I, I hope Mike watches Scott on uh letterbox. I'm like, thank God he did. Cause <laughs> th- th- this is a Mike movie. I've only heard you yell who's yammering in the killer chat. I don't know anything about it or seen the trailer. What's it about? Well, um, I'll get into it in a minute, but did, Tad, did you read my review on it? Uh, no. Oh, okay. I'll probably repeat some of that here. Anyway, um, so it stars Jonah Ray, who I like. I really like Jonah Ray. I don't yeah. care if any, what anybody else says. I um, love Jonah Ray. Okay, good. Uh, he is this uh, musician, so you'll appreciate that, Jason. He's been... Uh, he's really into prog rock. Uh, take a drink every time they say prog rock in this movie. Um, and he's been trying to complete his prog rock album that he's been making himself by himself for the past like 10 years or something like that. But he keeps kind of letting things purposely getting in his way of finishing As most it. musicians do. You know, you know that guy. Uh, we all have oh, yeah. 10 friends who are, you know, they just got to finish one more thing before i get this album out and jonah ray's character is just constantly just riddled with anxiety and you know all this like uh you know scared of confrontation and all this stuff well they get a new neighbor in their little shitty apartment building and their new neighbor which is played by alex winter in full freaking makeup you won't recognize him but you know when you see him moving around stuff and kind of jumping around I'm like, okay, yeah, that's Alex Winter for sure. Super <laughs> thick accent. Um, what accent would that be? Scottish, right? And it, like, it's kind of a Scottish. No fucking idea. Okay. <laughs> um, and it's wi- wild. Yeah, and he is like really noisy, and Jonah Ray is super skittish, but it's like so noisy, it's knocking like pictures off of the the counter where Jonah Ray's trying to record his album and stuff, and. And he's trying to avoid confrontation, but it just goes out of control. And um, I don't know how to get into more of this without spoilers, but the title is Destroy All Neighbors. So there you go. And uh, I mean, I guess I guess maybe it's not really a surprise or anything, but the neighbor accidentally gets killed. Um, and Jonah Ray, you know, tries to hide the body and stuff and, but the the body keeps coming to life and keeps talking <laughs> to him and and you know oh and it's so funny and keep keeps uh, trying to um, cause more havoc for Jonah Ray and uh, more mayhem more carnage ensues and every time there's more carnage that carnage also comes back to haunt Jonah Ray and uh, it's just it is just it's super it's super spastic in its style. Very much reminds me um, of Freaked, not yep. in the not in the same style mm-hmm. of like airplane style humor as Freaked, but just how energetic it is, 
the you know the color palettes, um, you know the makeup effects. Which Gabe Bartelos is was the Whoa. head makeup guy on He's it. Back? So yeah, yeah, and not only that, but like you know it's super makeup effects heavy. You know, a lot of puppetry and stuff, and all practical stuff, and it's cool. And it definitely also has kind of that Hen and Lauder feel to it, where the makeups are over the top. You know, like Alex Winter's character is is like a living cartoon when you see him. And and there, you know, there's a character that gets burnt to a crisp, and that that skeleton skeletal uh, burnt crisp corpse comes to life and talks to him and is walking around and stuff, and that's all puppetry work. Um, you know, it's got, you know, it's score is a lot of, well, like prog rock type music, I guess. So it's just super crazy, energetic, all over the place. Music camp, the camera work is, is spinning around all the time. And it's just, it's just full of energy and chaos and everything that I like about, you know, a movie like freaked, for example. And I, I'm just going to pull up my letterbox review <laughs> and, and read it. Is, uh, I was pretty proud of it. Um, uh, what, what do you have to say about it, Tad, while I'm trying to find my review? Uh, I, I, I probably couldn't have liked it as much as you did. Um, but <laughs> when I saw, I think I saw the trailer for the first time on the Christmas special for Joe Bob. They played it, played it between the movies. And I was like, oh, this is absolutely a Mike movie. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yep. But it's just like, the perfect thing for Shudder. It'd be a perfect movie to watch with a group of people because it's oh, so yeah. outlandish and silly and stupid. Uh, but that's what's great about it. And Jonah Ray, I love seeing him get like a leading role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's he's very, very funny. The writing's very smart. Uh, like Mike said, that having this character who's like super anxious and uh, non-confrontational, I'm like, oh my God, I relate to him so fucking much right here because his, like, girl, yeah. his girlfriend's like, just go over there and talk to him. And he's like, I'm going to call the cops. And she's like, just go talk to him. And like, he comes home, with, he comes back with the cops and this neighbor's in his apartment, like, you know, flirting with his girlfriend. And she's like, you should have just went over and knocked. He's such a nice guy, whatever. And he like hugs the girl and makes a face at Jonah Ray, like, He's he's and then he makes it pretty much his goal for the rest of the movie to ruin Jonah Ray's life and uh, it's yeah it's very funny and sad but the the humor is so is very funny very silly oh um, you, you got that review yeah I do it's I can't I wrote another review somewhere that Where was are you writing reviews even. At? was even better than this but i'll just read what i wrote i guess i gave this four stars by the way whoa that's the highest (coughs) it's pretty high for me on letterbox well five is the best yeah uh this is made for me i loved it it has the morbid humor chaotic energy cartoony color palette sleazy yet silly set design and art direction Fast-paced camera work and editing has that 80s and 90s Alex Winter, Tom Stern filmmaking style that I love, like Freaked, Idiot Box, Squeal of Death. Uh, It even has Alex Winter in it as the most outrageous character he's played probably since Freaked. Uh, I love the cast, Alex, Jonah Hill, Thomas Lennon, uh, and to top it off, effects work by Gabe Bartelos. Come to think of it, uh, the effects and set design has a Frank Henenlotter feel to it, only with a way bigger budget. 
I also love the music in it as well. My only complaint, here we go, is that I felt like in Tad, you can back me up on this if you agree, that the dialogue a lot of times is kind of hard to hear. Um, yeah, probably just in the, the final like sound mix. The music, there's always loud like prog rock and metal playing in the background, and sometimes it's hard to hear over that. And it seems like there's scenes where it's almost like mumblecore kind of thing where characters are talking over each other and Alex Winter's accent is so super thick that sometimes it's near impossible to understand exactly what he's saying. Alex Winter so definitely freaked vibes. You just can't help it. Oh, I can't help it. <laughs> I can't help it. So, yeah, I freaking loved it. I mean, just even the font of the title with the with the eyeball on it and the and the oozy green. Yeah. It's like it totally screams, you know, garbage pail kids to me and that kind of the stuff that I love. So I want more movies like this. I've been wanting more movies like this since Freaked, and I feel like I finally have gotten one that fits into that line. It doesn't, again, doesn't have that, like, goofy, satirical, slapstick, uh, airplane-style humor, you know. Um, but uh, it, not only was it awesome to get a movie like this, but then having Alex Winter, the guy from Freaked, the guy from Idiot Box... In this kind of like got me super excited. I mean, I, I love all of his documentary work. I love him as a filmmaker, but man, if he could start doing movies like this again, oh, oh, I can't even. <laughs> so, Ted, you saw this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I watched it maybe Sunday night. I can't remember. All the days sort of blend together, but. Uh... Nikki and I, it was like late night and I was like, you want to watch a movie? She's like, uh, I'll probably fall asleep. And I was like, okay, well I'm going to throw this on. It's only like 86 minutes. And, uh, guess what? Neither of us fell asleep. So that's a, you know, a very big compliment. I was, I was starting to get a little concerned in my brain of like, is the, is the things happening to Jonah really happening? Or is this all in his head? Is, are these characters really coming back from the dead to haunt him? But no, it's really in his head. But then if that's the case, then how, how did the hand push the gas pedal, you know? And then, and I just got to the point. I was like, stop worrying about that. This is just too, too fun. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, Tad, what have you watched? Thank you for asking, Mike. I watched the new Nick Cage movie, Dream Scenario. Has anyone else seen this yet? Watched the trailer, and I'm like, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> it was very different from what I expected. Uh, from the trailer, I almost hate to say it, but it almost gave me, like, <clears throat> everything, everywhere, all at once vibes. Sure. Because it's A24, and, like, they're showing the dream sequences of with Nick Cage. But the basic story is Nick Cage plays a hapless family man, Paul Matthews. Um, he is a university teacher, a uh, very nerdy guy who's into like ant farms and biology and uh, just weird shit. Uh, very dorky, very nerdy guy. <clears throat> if you haven't seen the trailer, he has the whole like Dr. Phil hair and yeah, the gray not, beard. Yeah, not your typical Nick Cage. not attractive, yeah, really. Right. And he... One day runs into an old colleague and they're like, you know, 
you're not going to believe this, but I had a dream about you last night. And then he goes to class and a student is like, I had a dream about you last night. And then he's asked the class, like, how many of you had a dream about me last night? And everybody raises their hands. He becomes this like super famous viral guy overnight. Um, I, I, this is not a spoiler. This is basically what the trailer is. And uh, because of this newfound fame, he gets all this stuff thrown at him, like, a sprite deal and they they want to do like a commercial with obama dreaming of him and he's like the new it guy <clears throat> but um he's he tries to use that newfound fame to like get his book about ant farms published you know he's so dorky like he doesn't even he doesn't give a shit about sprite he doesn't give a shit about any of this uh he's like you know well can i i've been trying to get this book out for years can i do this and they're like yeah sure sure whatever like we'll get your stupid book out as long as you let us do this well in the meantime, uh, people start having bad dreams about him and the dreams all turn into nightmares. And suddenly he's like ostracized from the country. Like he tries to go out to eat and they ask him to leave. And uh, Tucker Carlson's the only one who wants to have him on his show. And he becomes this like pariah for the, the like conservative crowd because our country's fucking weird and he doesn't know how to handle this newfound fame. And that's what the movie's more about is like how our country or how our society treats people. Like they basically try to cancel him and he hasn't done anything. He it's, it's all in dreams. And he's like, when it was good, it was good. But when it's bad, like it's really bad. And how do you, how does our culture handle that? You know what I mean? It's really, a sort of a self-reflecting thing on how our world is today. And it's, it's really, really good. Uh, they do show some of the dreams, which are really cool. Um, so they film like some of these, th- these people are telling the stories about what he did in their dreams and they show it like they film it, which is really cool. Uh, really fantastic. He was nominated for a golden globe for best like comedic performance. There's a lot of really funny shit in it. Uh, one thing that horror nerds will really love is when <clears throat> he takes like a dark turn and starts showing up in nightmares. Like he went from like being in like time and, and these big respective publications. And then he's, uh, he's in the UK doing a book signing and they're like, Rue Morgue wants to come do a photo shoot with you. <laughs> and they're trying to get him to put on like a Freddy glove. And he's like, well, I, 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 this is not really my uh, personality. And they're like, oh, but you're in like everybody's nightmares. You're like a real life Freddy Krueger. And he's like, I'd rather not. And they're like, well, you signed the contract. You sort of have to do this photo shoot. And, that that was a fun little thing. Um, so I definitely recommend Dream Scenario A24. It's really funny, really good. Uh, another great, fantastic, serious performance from Nick Cage. I loved it. Um, another one I watched, Saltburn. Hmm. Any, anyone see that yet? Only the internet's outrage. <laughs> yeah. What's, yeah. But I don't know a fucking thing about it. Um, so it has Barry Kogin. Kogin? Keo gang. I for, I don't know how to say his last name, but he was in the uh, the oh the uh, what was it? It was like Oscar movie last year. The um, Banshees of oh, Ina yeah. Sharon. Yeah, that's where he sort of had his like breakout uh, thing. And Jacob Elordi from Euphoria and Rosamund Pike is in it. Um, but basically. Uh, Barry plays this sort of really super nerdy character who they're at this like sort of posh college, private college, and he 
sort of falls for this uh, character named Felix. He's played by Jacob Elordi, a very handsome, tall, muscular guy, uh, and gets pulled into this crazy world of like social elite, like like this Felix character has very, very, very rich parents, and they own this huge like mansion castle called Saltburn, and so uh, Barry or Oliver is this character. He's very, very poor. So they invite him to come live there where they have this like island of misfits, basically like these rich people bring in poor kids and give them a crazy life where they drink every night and they party and they do drugs and they have a butler who cooks all their food and uh, bad shit starts happening. But it's it's getting a lot of um, outrage or it's it's controversial because there's some like, I mean, there's some scenes where like, very sexual scenes between two men, um, some very sultry, some very sexy stuff going on. I didn't think it was nearly as bad as people are making it out to be, but uh, maybe because I'm not closed-minded asshole, right? I didn't. I, I was like, this is this is sort of a wild movie, but like, the the you know there is a scene where he dances completely full frontal nude, so there's a lot of dick swinging. Um, That's what it which, does. But know. people just aren't used to dick swinging, I guess. Not. But uh, it's on Amazon Prime. It was it was a good it's a good movie. It's very well shot, um, but it almost feels like it's trying too hard at times to be controversial. A lot of people are saying they're comparing it to the talented Mr. Ripley, which I've never seen. Mm. But uh, it's okay. Yeah, it's it's a good movie. It's just I think all the hype and talk about it is overbearing a good movie. And let's see, the only other things I really watched, um, Louder Milk I finished, and I... Uh, Mike, that's really good. You I got to see it. Okay. Yeah, Damn I man. watched uh, Destroy All Neighbors, and then Woo. I uh, have been... I'm almost finished with The Curse, which I think I talked about on last episode, but it's getting Jerk. more and more <laughs> weird. Um, so weird, guys. I don't know. Uh, like not in a good way? It makes me so uncomfortable. And I don't know why I keep watching, but it's, I think I've explained it poorly last time, but basically Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone play this couple. They're doing this own, their own like HGTV show. They're two like young, they're a young couple who is, tr- is trying, they bought a poor neighborhood and they're trying to like turn these houses into like energy efficient houses that run on their own and all this shit And the neighborhoods resisting it. But it's getting more and more tense because him and his wife, there's a lot of stuff coming between them. And they start trying, they, they film this pilot episode and realize like, there's no drama to it. We need drama. It's reality TV. So the director who's like friends with both of them sort of puts a wedge between and he's like, talks Emma Stone's character. He's like, you know, like you're too good for him and stuff. We need to film some stuff of you basically like talking shit about your husband and that will make a more interesting reality show do it behind his back. And so shit's getting worse. And there's like, just, just over, over cast feeling of doom right now. And it's just like, I'm waiting for it to fucking blow up. And it makes me like feel very, very anxious just watching the show. And I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? Like you should turn on TV and sort of step away. Like I I feel more dread watching this than I do any horror movie, but Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the point of it. But, um, yeah, that's what I watched. Okay, I figured out, I was, like, saying I was so proud of my review 
Um, after I watched uh, Destroy All Neighbors, I realized I never logged Freaked into my letterbox after I uh, made Simon watch it for the first time. And so I immediately did a review of Freaked on Letterbox after I did Destroy. So I have to read just the snippet that I'm very proud of. Um, it's Mad Magazine and Airplane had a dr- had drunken sex in the back of a weirdo hot rod and puked in the film projector. That's my description of Freaked. Nice. All right, so let's get into the movies. Okay. We're going to start. I'm going to start this time. Do How it. about that? I'm going to. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Fine. Good. <laughs> uh, the first movie we're going to talk about tonight is, or today, whenever you're listening to this, uh, Hills Have Eyes, part two. Get your sorry rookie butts in the back of that truck. Let's go. What the hell are scientists doing way the hell out here? They used to test nuclear weapons here. Moving a radioactive then? Not according to the army. Where is everybody? Hello! Give me base. Keep your eyes open. This place creeps me out. What is it? National Guard trainees find themselves battling against a vicious group of mutants on their last day of training in the desert. Hills of Ice Part 2. Um, from, oh crap, I didn't write down the year. From some year. 2007. 2007. So and this is the sequel. To, to leave any confusion, it's actually... Hills Have Eyes 2, the one that's part two is the original sequel. Okay, fine. Um, This is a sequel to the remake, which the remake is awesome. It is. and The film that turned it around, that got us out of our funk probably from that original hatred of of remakes. And I'm blanking on the director right now of the 
oh, of part one. It's Alexander oh, Aja, 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 right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and thanks to him, you know, not just with that, but with like Piranha 3D, which was also pretty good. Yeah, um, but I, I specifically remember the first Hills Have Eyes was literally the one that I first okay. said, okay, remakes are pretty, ca- remakes can be good. Yeah. And then okay. I had to go back and fix some mistakes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, take the blinders off. Yeah, uh, yeah. The old man hatred blinders. Gotcha. Uh, and this one, it definitely does not hold up to um, Aja's film, but it's not horrible. It's serviceable. Literally the same review I was going to do. It's not horrible. <laughs> no. It's, I've it, seen it's worse. Kind of, it's kind of... It, it, I don't know. I would almost say it's kind of... Like generic, you oh, it's not. Great. Pick them off one by one. It's not great. Some of the characters you kind of hate, um, you know. And just I love how going through the desert and doing all these uh, uh, tactical things, and then getting hunted off one by one by the mutants, and yet the two female military girls still have perfect makeup and everything. Um, but I, I guess I've never really truly understood the utter hatred I've heard over the years for this for this one. Like hmm. people hate this movie, and I don't think it's that bad. Um, it's it's yeah, it's not great, uh, but at least uh, it's a Hills Have Eyes two that does not have a dog having a flashback scene. I know every every. Sequel's perfect. So. It's like if we're comparing the the two different Hills Have Eyes two, I think this one probably this one isn't as revolutionary. Is as, uh, a bit better than <laughs> I'll say it's better than Wes Craven's Part Two. For me, well, it's all about the the fucking army shit. I could give a fuck about the army shit in this. Me too. It's Thank so God. Bad. I was gonna say same thing. Like I, anytime you throw those into like a horror movie, I just do not care. No, because and granted, it's I know. not a family. Like I, the first one is is awesome because it's a family, and you're yeah. worried about them. I don't give a. I hope they all get fucking torn up. They have weapons and guns and shit. Like you should yeah. tear them up. Right. Well, the problem is, is that they're they're so they're the same characters every time you do that. You get you know you got the guys that are just the loud mouth, think they're tough as shit guys who. Blowhards. Blowhards that just go crank. going guns a blazing. You got crank always. Yeah. That's <laughs> the name of the blowhard in it. Yeah, because I mean half of them suck. I mean, I know none of us have been in the army, but uh I think it's pretty clear that their procedures are bullshit in this movie. Like there's no way that the army operates in any way like it does in this movie. <laughs> Not in any way. Are you talking about specifically when we first meet them and they're doing the training exercises with real yes. explosions yes. and real gunfire, and, that, and then you find out that it's just a training exercise? Like, no, all of these people could have really been killed. There's no way this was just a simple training exercise. That was so over the top. Or just the way they went into this next actual mission without just deciding to do it with a bunch of trainees, you know, one real army guy and then a bunch of trainees he took with him to go check this out. And I'm just like, this is fucking stupid. I hated the (laughs) army stuff. I liked all the hillbilly stuff. That was great. All the makeups were good. All the kills were good. Got Derek Mears in there. Derek Mears is in there. Big motherfucker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
the second I saw Jeff Cobra, I'm like, fuck yeah, even though he's one of the army guys, but he still does his crazy shit and blows his head off and falls off the cliff right there in the beginning, but there's some cool kills and gore. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. the the gore is fine. Like when yes. they pull that guy by his foot into the hole. Oh, and his other leg is yeah. Still yes, out. that's gnarly. Yeah, but uh, it, the kills can't save it, and it's like I just on another one we'll talk about later. It's just this question to me of like that. I remember that Hills Have Eyes remake, the Aja one was at least in the horror circles, like a uh, real big surprise. People loved it. It was violent oh, and, yeah, and yeah. crazy. And you have this, okay, we did this, you know, it's a huge cultural phenomenon. It made a bunch of money. We were on the good, you know, side of history. Like let's make a, let's make a sequel. That's just as good or, or follow it up with something great. And it feels like they made a direct to video sequel yeah. and looking at the director's IMDb. Holy shit. This guy did a bunch of Nickelback music videos. Uh. Uh, a bunch of he did one for Cisco, for several for Corn, one for Brandy, uh, Collective Soul, Puff Daddy, Filter. I mean, looking at this movie, wow. I'm like, yeah, this looks like a music video. It makes sense now. He's only done one other movie, and it was like right before this. Every and then ever since then, he hasn't done. He's just back to making uh, Daughtry and Nickelback music videos. Like for fucking real, the, he, the last thing, man. Yeah. yeah, the last things he really did was like f- a flow rider vi- music video. He just made a bunch of sugar babe babes, like a girl group, a bunch of music videos. It, it's like Hills Have Eyes Two is right between the Nickelback Ultimate Video Collection <laughs> and Photograph by Nickelback. <laughs> it makes so much sense now. But why would Wes Craven be like? I mean, I, I have a little bit about that. I guess I, yeah, I, I had a little bit about that here in the trivia, but like you have that momentum and why just hell, why couldn't Wes Craven just direct it? Like just uh, maybe again, sort of like we, we talked about on the, the bonus episode of like the alien versus predator effect, but it was just like a time, a piece of its era, but it's just what a bad selection on director and, uh, just I, I I didn't love it. Yeah, I just you had so much potential, and you followed up with this. This is why people hate it because the first <laughs> one's so good. Yeah, man. It's yeah. Yeah, I I totally thinking about it now, Jason. I totally agree with you. Is this being probably the big one to show us that? Because I remember I I remember now when word of this was coming out and people being up in arms of like remaking another classic you know the original is considered a such a classic and it's still a great movie don't get me wrong but aja elevated it with with this i think so with the first one first one yeah do you guys know uh just fun fact for you and this shouldn't uh jump on your trivia tab but uh (laughs) that there's technically a hills have ice three from the original film um there was a movie called Mind Ripper, which really doesn't have anything to do with Hills Have Eyes, but it, it, when it first was going into production, it was supposed to be Hills Have Eyes 3. I'm trying to remember, I think. Yeah, and it's even a Wes Craven Presents, so when you um, find the movie Mind Ripper, Whoa. it's Wes Craven Presents Mind Ripper. 
but it was originally supposed to be Hills Have Ice Part 3. I don't know why it went from that to Mind Ripper. Probably because the movie, other than being in a desert, has nothing to do with Hills Have Ice. Somebody watched it, and they're like, we got to change the name of this. (laughs) (laughs) This movie does, uh, I definitely want to point this out before we move on, uh, since, you know, I hate movies now. Um, This movie does... uh, does one of the things I fucking hate about horror movies. And it does it 47 goddamn times in this movie. So, you know, like your main character, you're following him, the camera's kind of on him, and they're like sneaking around, and he looks, they look to the left. I don't see anything. They look to the right, and they're out in this big open space. They're outdoors, <laughs> you know. You're outdoors. You look to the left, nothing. Around, you look to the right. I don't see anything. Motherfucker jumps out of nowhere. What the fuck? I fucking hate that so much. There's like, there's no physical way that you did not see this person. I don't give. Yeah, especially big hulking. You'd fucking smell him. I know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I hate that bullshit part of movie magic. Yeah, it's a bad trope because uh, it's one thing for like Jason. For yeah. he's to do it, but yeah. like, yeah, when you just do this for a cheap jump scare, uh, I yep. hate it. Hate it. I I will say though, and I don't. I, I kind of wish I would have had time to maybe watch all the part ones to all these. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I don't remember if this it. mutant was in the first one or not. But I I thought it was probably the neatest thing if it was for this movie and not the first one was the mutant that um, whose body kind of looked like the rocks and he could camouflage himself against the against the rocks. I thought that was kind of cool. Was that Chameleon? Yes. That's Derek Mears. That was Derek Mears? That was Derek Scare Mears. Yeah. Okay. Another one of the guys was Eric Edelstein, who was the big guy in Green Room, the big bad guy in the, it was locked in the room with the band. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, oh. he was clearly all covered in makeup, so... You wouldn't really know it, but he's I like on to do a lot, lot of green stuff. Room. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to look him up later because every time I watch Green Room, it's like, where do I know this guy from? I feel like I've yeah. seen him in other stuff. Well, I, I I watch this and I just root for the hillbillies, and I shouldn't be. So. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. how you did. You know, you did it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sort of, maybe I don't know. Goddamn army shit! I feel like there probably could have been more mutant scenes in it. True. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I like, felt like we got a lot more time with the mutants in all the other versions of the of this franchise than this. Yeah, one. it's like if you're gonna go this route, at least just make them like pick them off one by one super fast, just blaze through it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. make it a balls to the wall action movie where you're just it's kill after kill after kill, body count. You know, rack them up. Yeah, they did really stretch that crap out too. Because there was a long stretch stretch there, where it's like, when when is somebody else going to die? And they're and they're all just like splitting up and like, you go check this, but check that out. Where did where did you know bullet go to? Where did you know Rex? Where's Rex? You know, just who fucking cares? Maybe four or five tops. Yeah, of the hillbillies. All right, so Tad, what trivia do you have for this movie? The mine shafts were created by the same team who were responsible for the caves in the much better movie, The Descent. Oh. Um, 
I did not even think about it while watching the the uh, original. It's been quite a while. I've, I should revisit it to wash this one out of my mouth. But uh, <laughs> Wes Craven wrote both of these, uh, and his son wrote this with him. But uh, Wes Craven's initial inspiration for the film came during a casual conversation with producer Peter Locke. Craven envisioned that the previous film's character, Brenda, traumatized by her suffering, joins the National Guard to overcome her fears. Barely finished with basic training, Brenda receives a call from her sergeant who explains that they are sending a team back to New Mexico desert Excuse me, to eradicate the remaining mutants. Her sergeant and the team need her, for she is the only one left alive and she knows the mutant's location. Because of DeRaven's involvement in the television show Lost, her schedule was unable to accommodate the filming of the sequel. Wes Craven replaced her character but re- retained much of the original concept, including the group of National Guard soldiers in training. So that's where that idea came from. And then it's the part that actually made it sort of a story disintegrated. So they just went ahead with it anyways. Mm, yeah. Um, and then the only other thing, uh, Wes Craven originally looked at Michael J. Bassett, who is the director of Death Watch, to take over the directing role, but ultimately chose Martin Wise after scheduling conflicts. Out of everybody, he chose this guy. He's <laughs> Wes, Cra- Wes Craven sat and watched a bunch of Nickelback music videos and was like, this is my guy. Maybe he's a fan. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, oh man. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's move on to the next film. Hopefully, this will do better for us. Tad, what do we got next? Next, we have Fright Night Two. Oh my God! Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Dandridge, and hey, I'm a visiting Jerry. professor. Hey, hey, check this out. It's about the missing person. I know it's gonna sound crazy. It was a vampire. What if I told you we got a real life vampire problem? Hey, Professor. Fancy meeting you here. So glad you could come. Welcome to Fright Night for real. On a trip in Romania, Charlie and his friends discover that their alluring art professor is a real-life vampire hell-bent on completing an ancient ritual with Amy's blood. Are they all doomed to spend eternity as ravenous creatures of the night? So this is interesting. We had the Fright Night reboot with what Colin Farrell and Anton Yelkin, Yelchin. Which I yep. kind of liked. I really, really yeah. like it. I saw that in theaters in 3D. Same. It was a blast. It has a great soundtrack. Yeah. See, and that's why I'm th- I was like, man, I wish I would have had time to watch all the first ones before watching these. Yeah, sequels. you haven't seen that. I have, oh, but have it's you? been so long I don't remember anything about it. Oh yeah. And also, you know, going back to Good Omens, uh um David Tennant was um, uh, the Peter Albert. Vincent oh. in the yes. in the original remake. So again, yeah. another Who reference there for you. 
Right. So this is Fright Night 2, and then new there's blood. New Blood, but it's not. it wasn't originally, and then they, I don't know, changed it. This yeah. went straight to video. The, the Again, like The Hills Have Eyes, the Fright Night remake did very well in theaters, uh, was for the most part well-liked. Um, and they did this, which... <laughs> <laughs> they call it Fright Night. They call it Fright Night Two, and it's a re another remake. It's a total another it's remake. More yeah, so it's maybe than that. more so than the first one. It's so weird. Like, see, and that's what I don't remember about the first <clears throat> the first remake is if they kept all the beats there from the original film because this one does. This one really. I mean, it has Charlie spying on the the vampire from across the way. Yeah, yeah, even names, evil. Jerry Dandridge, Charlie Brewster, Evil, Peter Vincent. I mean, they well, didn't the, change Those were all shit. the same names in the remake, too, though. It was all the yeah. same characters. So weird. So weird. Yeah. And when it started, and I, I didn't know that, and I assume none of us did, but, like, it got me halfway through the movie just on the, oh, this is a remake. Cool. I mean, yeah. it didn't really fit necessarily what we meant to do for the episode, but um, but I was like, oh, you know, we all know Fright Night's one of our favorite movies of all fucking time. Oh, yeah. So uh, just the novelty of getting to see it again and the, and the little tweaks were neat, you know, with Jerry being a girl and she's so hot. And I was going to say, well, at least we geez. get to see her naked, so. And tying it into the Lady Batherly story yeah that was neat for sure and the scenario necessarily was just not the neighborhood they were on the school trip and that was cool and 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 again it helped carry it for me halfway yeah it wasn't again like the last last time we talked you know it's not awful it's just not (laughs) like why why, but it's just like why does this like like it's just such a weird thing of like the studio saw this and there was like you know what if we remade it again but put a two behind it and just called it a sequel to this so that people who liked this one go see it but it's so weird and it's directed by eduardo rodriguez and i was looking up his imdb um he's written or this is the uh yes the director so he's done you're not alone which i don't think i've seen but i've seen the poster it's like a frosted window and someone's written you're not alone on the window mm. uh he did an episode of fear itself which was like the spinoff of uh masters, masters of horror, of horror yeah. and then the writer is matt venn and he's done it, listen to this this is hilarious he did white noise to the light which is a direct-to-video sequel to White Noise. And he did Mirrors 2, which is a (laughs) direct-to-video sequel to Mirrors. Uh, He also wrote Bag of Bones, the TV miniseries. He's written an episode of uh, Creepshow. And he wrote an episode of Masters of Horror uh, and an episode of Fear Itself. So he's at least got some experience, the writer does. But it's just like, again, it's so weird. Like, this was... This was... 11 years ago now, 2013, I just remember like this came out and it went straight to video. And at that time it was just sort of like uh, straight to video. And I, I'm not going to watch this, but I loved, I was one of those people who just loved the reboot. Cause I love Anton and I loved yeah. Colin Farrell in it. I thought it was really uh, like taken. They, they took it serious and it was good. And this 
not bad, but I think the things I liked about it was just because I'm familiar with the story, you know? One of the things I remember when this came out, and I think I can specifically remember I was in Target looking at the DVDs and seeing Fright Night 2, a sequel to the, a sequel to the remake. First time I ever even knew this existed, seeing it on a shelf on DVD. You so it was yeah. extremely direct to video. But I got to say, I feel like for a movie that was just dumped and abandoned on, on video and thrown on a shelf somewhere, production value is not too bad. Um, you know, I mean, it's definitely of its time for the CGI stuff, but definitely seen worse CGI in a direct video movie. But not only that, the, the moment that really caught my attention as far as like the production value of this movie was when the cab flipped. When, when she yeah. flipped the cab, I'm like, holy shit, that's a real stunt. That was a real it stunt really with a real car that probably cost money. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so and the sets of the loca- you know the locations were all awesome. I thought, yeah, production value was better than you. I know we initially probably thought. Yeah, yeah. I thought the actor, the main actors were okay. I I grew to like them all, but not Peter Vincent. Oh my god! And not oh because god. I wasn't. Com- I I tried and didn't compare him. But just on his own, I just didn't give a shit. The actor, the the performance, the writing of Peter Vincent, the use of Peter Vincent in this movie ruins the whole. Not that this is like a stellar right. movie to begin right. with, but it it fucking ruins Kept, it for me. Keeps it from being I a watchable. Hate. First of all, his character is just completely despicable. The one yep. the one thing I will say about this Peter Vincent over. Um, uh, from the from the first one, is I like the I like this version of Peter Vincent's job better than the remake. I mean, how do you go? How do you modernize a TV horror host with the original Peter Vincent in the original film, and in in the remake they made him like a Chris Angel type guy? I think this one to me made more sense. Let's make him a reality TV show star that does ghost hunting shows. Yeah. That is a much better transition. Boy. Setting up so much more cool stuff of like these kids being a big fan of his and then being so disappointed when you find out he's not real, that he's full of crap. But they so misuse that in this whole movie. Like in the original film, the whole third act is is Peter Vincent and Charlie Brewster taking on the vampires together. Freaking Peter Vincent is just gone for two thirds of this movie and shows up, just happens to show up right there at the end to help take down, take down, uh, uh, Jerry. And then says the fucking line (laughs) that was in that trailer that I just, I about, I about punched my TV, man. Fright Night for real. What the fuck? First of all, for real. First of all, was there any Fright Night reference in that whole movie? Why would he say that? Just from that's the name of his show. Oh, was that the name of his show? Evil Loves. All right, all right, my bad. Yeah, but like Peter Vincent, like one of the absolute most memorable scenes in the original is when Peter Vincent first goes to Dandridge's house and learns for himself that this is like real. it's such a giant yes. scene with so much meat and like everything's on the line and you're just like 
because we know and he and it's like what a fucking scene and then in this movie it's just like well i don't even know i'm not even sure what happened i think i blinked and like he's just suddenly leaves he's like out of there yeah, it's like, that subway scene yeah and she like, her eyes turn black he's like fuck this i'm out and then we're yeah like, and then what? just what and then just runs off with no uh, with without that like oh and again you know you're comparing apples and oranges know, here as far as actors go <laughs> um, sure but like that original peter vincent um, Rodney McDowell was like this whole time stalling to try to remember his name. <laughs> Rodney McDowell, who's an amazing actor anyway, and his performance in that scene, like you're talking mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. just you could just see a wave of emotions come over him as he makes, as he starts putting the pieces together and realizing this shit's real and I'm out of here. Um, as opposed to be just like, oh, black eyes, I'm, and runs out of the subway. That's just, that's just the problem with doing a remake like you just can't not be compared you know and you're go- eventually at least a scene will be compared and you will not be as good i don't know as much as i hate this version of peter vincent i will have to say that you guys can correct me if i'm wrong and i might be probably are but i kind of think this was my favorite evil ed i thought evil was good in this and he mimicked his laugh pretty well. And, I think, oh, I, I, I really appreciated you know, the fact that he was trying tried, to, yeah, trying to do a little bit of, uh, of Jeffrey. Um, I can't remember his name right now either. Yeah, Good but, Lord. but like, here's my horror card. And back. yes, I shit. yes, I agree with you. But at the same time, uh, this evil, there's no. I don't get that sympathy on that end scene when his confrontation with Charlie. Well, we'll I can get into that. You know, here in a like because in the original, that scene's just heartbreaking when they go at each other and evil. But gets, it's but it's um, Peter Vincent that has to take down <sighs> Evil Ed in the original, and I think that for one, again, you're talking yeah. Rodney McDowell again. And this doesn't and really have a his demise in a way. I don't know. I just the, the, like, the, the kid, well, I did. I have. The Go whole ahead. third act of this movie is freaking <laughs> bullshit. I'm just saying that right now. But one of the things I thought this evil Ed was was funny. Yeah. Um, and I bought into him being a horror fan sure. more than any of the others. You don't really get that even in the original. It's like Charlie Brewster shows up at Evil Ed's house and asks him how to defeat a vampire, which. It's kind of bogus because why wouldn't Charlie already know that? Because he watches Fright Night with Peter Vincent just as much as Evil Ed. There's and when he's in Evil Ed's room, there's really nothing in the room that screams horror movie fan. But this guy, you know, he's like always he's doing pranks with masks and like um, you know talking about talking about horror movies and relationship to horror and stuff like that. And he's all into this tour and. I think we're also suckers to be able to find ourselves in a character within a movie. That's it's true, but I mean that's kind of was always been the point of Evil Ed's yeah, character, yeah, yeah. though. Hence why they call him great. Evil. It's great. So I, I really liked this particular Evil Ed. Sure. Uh, but going to that third act, here we go. And the, and that final fight between Ed and Charlie. Yeah, the demise is stupid. Um. Yeah, no emotion. And, you know, we're two best friends. And it's like... And I really think, like, Fright Night has always had the comedy. Yeah. Okay? And this one tries. But I think, like, execution is utter failure. 
and I made a note of this, um, could have been a moment in the film that would made me laugh hysterically and piss my pants where, you know, cause you also get this in the original where like, uh, um, Charlie is confronted with by evil Ed and Ed says, you left me on the subway. And Charlie replies, you told me to. And then evil Ed has like an, Oh yeah, reaction. But it, it, the timing of it and the performance of it is so off. It's not funny. It could have been a laugh out loud moment just because you take, you're kind of taking that again. You could call it a trope of like the, the victim who's now the, the monster confronting his friend or whatever. And, and trying to, uh, trying to play mind games with him was like, this is your fault kind of scenario thing. And then flipping it because it's true. You told me to leave. And then the guy's like, oh yeah, I did. Didn't I? Could have been hilarious. It would have been a nice flip on that trope, but execution was just flat on it. And then I don't even freaking understand the, the final, final battle between, between all of them at the end. Like they're oh. vampires now, but they have to kill her by midnight. But then it's after midnight, and then they still turn back to normal because whatever. It's dumb. And what is and what is him staking himself have to do with Amy dying? What is what is that? And then how can he resurrect himself by pulling his own stake out? What the frick, man? What the Ted? What's the frick? answer? I don't know, man. <laughs> I this is a you know I so when I watched these two I was like oh no I picked a bad topic <laughs> uh, yes. I, I honestly did listeners this was all Tad yeah I needed an excuse to like check these two off because I love the remakes and I was like oh. I never got to the sequels mm-hmm. and even the third one we're gonna talk about I never got to the sequel. Uh, and so it was a good excuse to check some of those off the list. And I don't remember like anyone at all, even talking about this one. I obviously Mike brought up the discords, uh, like people were not stoked about Hills have eyes too. They got a lot of negative yeah. feedback, but no one really talked about this one. Cause it sort of just went under the radar. It's been 11 years and this, I didn't know until I'm watching it that it, was actually a requel. Right. right. Yeah. Like, yeah. and, uh, yeah. just, it just, I mean, it is what it is, I guess. If they made it, I'm sure it made its money back in video sales and it exists out there, but, uh, just a weird, weird thing to exist. <laughs> For sure. They just did it a few years earlier. It's so weird. Right. <laughs> All right, what trivia do you have for this film? Might have some answers to some of our questions in here. Um, This was shot in 23 days. Okay. Okay. Uh, The producers interviewed a lot of potential candidates to direct, but they chose Eduardo Rodriguez when he pitched the innovative idea of telling the vampire's backstory in an animated comic segment. Which was Rodriguez. Oh, yeah, I kind of liked that that moment. Yeah. Rodriguez conceived the sequence as a way to slash costs and lighten the shooting schedule. Um, So, yeah, they picked him for budget, basically. And then 
the film was actually shot on location in Romania during the winter where temperatures lingered around negative 15 degrees Fahrenheit. Been there this week. Yeah, yeah, but can you imagine shooting for no. three weeks? No, no. cameras would have seized up. Naked in a naked in a pool of blood. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So sort of cool that they actually shot in Romania because some of the sets are like yeah. I think that actually ramps up that production value. Yeah. Probably like why they set it in Romania. It's like we can shoot it over here cheaper and use these yep. backgrounds, yep. and it look like it will it will make our production value look so much better. And it does. I mean, for a straight to video sequel to a remake that's actually a remake itself. <laughs> yeah, Mike said pretty pretty decent yeah. uh, production value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I think shooting it over there saved a lot of money. And this was kind of during that time frame when um, lower budget films productions were going over to romania like uh like the hostile movies stuff like that um shooting over there because it is cheap to shoot over there and cheap labor and all that so they definitely saved a lot of that money and put it in front of the camera which is cool yeah smart to actually set it there because you got a vampire flick and yeah cool for sure all right cool Two down, one to go. What do you got, Jason? Oh, man. Finally, we get to talk about a movie from the 80s. <laughs> Things will be okay, guys. <laughs> this is from 1989. The Fly 2. Listen. Do you hear it? It's getting closer. Much closer. Don't be afraid. Be very, very afraid. You could finish your father's work. You're as brilliant as he was. Something odd is happening to me, and I don't know what it is. Fly to like father, like son. Anton Bartok, the CEO of a research laboratory, acts as the self appointed guardian of orphan Martin Brundle, whose father had been a researcher at the lab. Though Martin is scarcely five, scarcely five, <laughs> that's a weird word. Uh, he has the appearance of a twenty-year-old, played by Eric Stoltz. Yeah, because of mutant insectoid genes in his system, Martin grows up confined to the laboratory, unaware of his true nature, with only pretty scientist Beth Logan to call a friend soon. The fly within begins to emerge. Emerge. Uh, directed by Chris Wallace. Nobody knows. Don't worry about it. Hey. Just kidding. He did some Tales from the Crypt. He some, was an effects artist. Well, he was an effects artist, which... Kick-ass effects artist. Eh, yeah. Uh, this was also a screenplay by George Langland, Ken Wheat, but also Mick Garris oh, I and that. Frank Darabont. Oh, I missed both and those And Jim names. Wheat. I missed that, too. Um, guys, listen. Uh-oh. So this came out in 89. When do you think it got to Cinemax? 90? 
probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. So, like, I fucking, I dubbed this off Cinemax in 1990, and I watched this movie so many fucking times. Me too. I Me too. I love this movie. Now, I know it's still a movie from the 80s, and, and watching it again, I wanted it to hold up as much as I remembered it, but, you know, it didn't. But I don't think it's, I so I know it's not perfect, but. God damn it! I love this movie a lot. Me too, buddy. Yeah, uh, the the that pretty scientist is Daphne Zuniga. Zuniga, Princess Vespa from Spaceballs. Yeah, she's done other things. Um, it's also uh, what's got me really excited about it. I didn't realize until this year, until I watched it this time. But Scorby, that badass piece of shit security guard that everyone hates. Yeah, that's Gary Chalk. Who is the voice of Optimus Primal in Beast Wars? And he's oh, done a lot, go. a lot of, a lot of uh, Transformers. A very famous Transformer voice artist. So, getting to see him on screen and hear him again, I'm like, fuck yeah, man, that's so awesome. And yeah, the the original or the not original Fly, the Jeff Goldblum Fly. <laughs> you know, hands down one of the best movies of all time and one of the best remakes of all time. For real, for real. And you know, you can't deny it. And then the the next thing, this time I didn't know it. I didn't I didn't remember it until the 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 first fucking note of the score. I'm like, that's Christopher Young. What the fuck? And you're like, that that's the Hellraisers. Yep. Guy doing this score. I'm just like, that's what helps elevate this. I think so. What helps elevate this movie to not just being a shitty, you know, just another remake, but, or sequel, but I mean, that score just takes it to a a yes level. So, uh, I, I don't, I don't remember the fly monster at the end being that clunky, but. It's fine. It's fine. But I'll tell you what, and I'm sorry, Tad, but those dog scenes are tough. Yeah, I mean, legit tough. Yeah, it's, and it's but and, it's supposed to be. And and it, and it pays it off, though. I think. Yeah. Yes, I think so too. So. It's emotional thing. Like it, they could have done oh. that to like a baby, and I wouldn't have cared. But the right. fact they did it to a dog was harsh, and you know, you you sympathize with this man baby that, you know has had to grow so fast, but he still has the sympathy of a child, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And, yep. and you know, especially with the shit that goes down in the third act, Ugh. you you need to really build sympathy for this particular character. I mean, I guess it's the 80s, late 80s, so your protagonist slaughtering people in the third act <laughs> um, is probably more forgivable in the yeah. 80s, but... Uh, but watching it, watching it now, you're like, is 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 he really a good guy? Should we really? But yeah. that's all set up in the first half, especially with the dog and that connection between them two, yeah. and then what happens to the poor dog, and then what continues to happen to the poor dog, and I and I I love the uh, the come around. Oh yeah, so we the see end. the top of the cage thing, you know, but we know what it is, and we see it, and we're like. Fuck yes! Is this? Are they doing? Yes! Fuck that guy! Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh. The main bad guy ends up in the old oh. dog, old dog dungeon. It's like yeah, justice. I'm ex- Tad. It's your first time, really? Yeah. 
Tell us. Yes. Is it all right? And I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I I'm a, a huge, fly fan. Yeah. I am a big fly fan. Probably my, I am going to get chastised for this, but probably my f- favorite Cronenberg, sure. uh, even though it's like his most it's mainstream, reasonable. but, so but, good. uh, it's good. yeah, so good. And the, it's, it's the most accessible. I mean, I guess it depends on my mood. If I'm in a weird mood, I can throw on something else, but, uh, yeah, this, you know, I assumed it was always like another, Omen 2 or uh, just one of those sequels that never lived up to the original and so I was like do I need to watch it and this is pretty pretty good it's a fun monster movie uh, mm-hmm. some really yes. gnarly effects uh, oh, and yeah. su- su- some really surprising emotion again you get me with dogs but uh, Eric Stoltz I always it's weird that I um, associate him with a role he did not get. Right. But when I'm watching this, and I just keep seeing like Michael J. Fox in his yes. performance. It's so weird. It crossed um, my mind this time. In my yeah. notes, I was writing my notes for the show while watching it this time. And so I was writing notes while watching it and a lot of jokes. And one of them I wrote down was like, you can often see the look on Eric Stoltz's face saying, I should have been in Back to the yep. Future. Yeah. I should yeah. try harder. <laughs> but it's a cool concept. I mean, the, it yeah. opens right away with a gnarly birth. And it's like, oh. right away we get a gnarly, disgusting scene of this kid being cut of like a larva, larvae, like weird thing. And it's it's gooey, just like the fly. But it's a little more like mean-spirited, it feels like. And it's less, uh, I don't know. Uh, obviously... It, it doesn't have the great performance of a Jeff Goldblum and the, the the chemistry between Eric Stoltz and what's her name? Daphne. Uh, Princess Vespa. Okay. Yes. Is not nearly the same. I, to me, that is like the big difference. And the first one is that chemistry is so good that it's tragic when he starts going down. Um, Mm -hmm. Or this one, they do not have the chemistry, but um, it's still, it still got me emotionally. It still got me invested. I think this is still a pretty damn good sequel, especially all things considered. Because uh, you said the director is like an effects guy, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes, and-, and yeah, sometimes it just doesn't work out. I mean, you went from yeah. a Cronenberg movie. You got like the best, and uh, you had the score before from uh, Goldsmith. Was it Jerry Goldsmith or some? It was someone- Howard Shore. Howard Shore, Shore. So, so, that's right. Yes, so you had this like you know, like triple threat of yeah. him and Goldblum, and and then you know this shouldn't be as, as, but it's really quite great, and they had a good story. It's a cool story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not trying to like recast Goldblum or e- really anybody. Like, how do we well, do this? Well, Gina they Davis, so, yeah, at the, <laughs> for a very early what the first scene basically. Well, but they're okay. There, well, there's the moment too where, which I thought was super, always thought was super cool. There's the scene where um, he's watching his dad's tapes, yeah, and it's a deleted scene yep. from the original mm-hmm. movie. So cool, dude. Where Gina Davis's character is interviewing Jeff Globloom, and what's also cool is that you know they couldn't get Gina Davis to do the sequel. Um, so in that opening scene, it's not Gina Davis. But when they show that scene where he's watching the tape and it's supposed to be Gina Davis interviewing her, interviewing Jeff Goldblum 
from that scene from the original Fly, which they again, reshot it take, with a new. They they dubbed in the dialogue from the new actress, so I yeah. thought that was kind of cool that they kept that consistent. They they thought to yeah. keep it. That's a good detail. I don't have this in my trivia, but there was so much trivia, and I have a lot for this one. Um, but there was a something that said uh, that in the original script there was like they were adding more to the fly story, but that would have required them to bring back Goldblum, like full makeup to shoot some more scenes. So they cut that out and ended up, like you said, using the deleted uh, scenes so that it looked like new footage. Yeah. Which is very smart. A smart world. Yep. Yeah. Super smart using some deleted footage. Now, yes, this is definitely not Cronenberg. You know, that's a, you know, the first movie is a high bar to reach so you can't expect that but it does really hold its own um yes you do get some of the emotional stuff there too but at the end of the day it, it's it's definitely more of a 80s popcorn monster flick uh especially when it gets to the balls of the wall third act so it's it's not that much of a body horror uh um character study as as the first film is it's definitely a lot more of a fun 80s flick but still, but but still doesn't go all the way into you know, like pure exploitation or anything. It's still you know you get a there's a lot of just character stuff long before he even begins to metamorphosize into the fly hybrid creature. So I think that uh, and what's great is too you know on how easily bored I get. Um, <laughs> all of it's captivating. All I mean, yeah. I mean there's never a moment where I'm like. I'm bored, or this is dragging on. Yeah, for sure. I I will say this I, I, again in my jokey notes. Um, first of all, <laughs> right during the sex scene, I wrote down she just did it with a five year old. Oh, uh, Mike! <laughs> am I wrong, Mike? Am I wrong? No. Uh, and then I also. I mean, <laughs> we had that weird stuff in the movie Big too. So that's true. <laughs> That's very true. Of course, you're um, thinking that. God and I'm watching. It. I'm watching this movie on my laptop while writing notes, and so I got the headphones on, and so I'm picking up a lot more audio wise than I think I ever had. And I, what, I, I wrote down that I think the Foley artist used to work in cartoons, um, because watching this with the headphones on, the sound effects are kind of goofy at times. Sure. Um, like again. We're talking about the the sad scene with the dog in the little dungeon thing, but there's like like this big super fancy um, a lab company, billion dollar company doing all this high tech super science stuff, and they keep this dog in like this Edgar Allan Poe dungeon yeah. in the basement. Where Why? you can hear like wind blowing noise and water <laughs> dripping noises. It's like a Halloween ta- cassette tape. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> and in the, in, the, in the you know sex scene, you heard like a like a spring sound boiling, and then uh, you heard like a little fly <laughs> buzzing when he came. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. Uh, but close. Every time something went. Th- Did you guys notice every time something went through the teleporter, that it the final moment when it vanishes, there's like a little noise. Like when the when the dog goes, it lets out a little yelp. When the cat goes, it lets out you know, meow. You know, and then <laughs> but the best was when the telephone went. It made a bunch of ringing noises and button pushing noises. Right when it vanished. 
<laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. what, what did the cactus do? I don't remember. Oh, I don't. I don't think maybe that had noise. If I if it did, I said, "Hey, I'm thirsty." <laughs> <laughs> um. Yes, and you can definitely tell this is directed by an effects artist because it mm-hmm. does not hold back on some cool gore, man. What's your favorite? Oh, it's a toss-up, man. It really is. I'm I, okay. I'll I will say it. I'm, I've made the decision. The face peeling scene. Yeah. Like he vomits the the acid goop on that guard, and the guard peels his own face off. It's freaking awesome. Well, yeah. And then even more disturbing that he's still alive, and uh, and it lingers uh, on him laying uh, on the ground, um, just making gurgling noises. Oh, so disturbing and gross. I was gonna say. Uh, and I'll spoil a little bit of this trivia since I have so much. It relates to that. Mel Brooks was the producer of this film as yeah, well Brooks as the films. first one. Yep. Um, and he went uncredited as he did for the first film. But he came up with the now infamous scene of a guard's face being melted off by fly vomit. So that was oh, his that was contribution. Oh, yeah, his contribution. Me too. <laughs> I also, but I also really liked the head squish by the elevator. Elevator. Oh, yeah, man. gnarly. That was awesome. And the dog is just unforgettable. Oh. Yeah. Ugh, heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, another thing that I really love and appreciate about this movie, and maybe it's not fair because it's an older film and not a tr- like a remake that was somewhat recent, but, like, I appreciate the continuity, you know? Yeah, from one to the yeah, next. Yeah, yeah. You know, this, not just the story... But the you know like having Jeff Goldblum appearance to have John Getz come back, yes, and play play a, a scene there was awesome and and just keep the story going. I, I don't know how can what's connecting the hills have eyes sequel if there's any other than See, it's some out yeah. See that's yeah that's why this one stands out amongst the other two we've talked about tonight. It's a continuation of the first story. Maybe not fair because it's so removed from that first fly. But, but that was a question I was going to ask you guys as far as remakes go because I've heard people argue that like the thing and the fly, they're not remakes. But the time period between the originals and these remakes is about the same time as these 80s to 2000s. Nice. Even maybe bigger gap, but I know filmmaking yeah. progressed so much more. Use I know math. filmmaking progressed way so much more between like 50s, 60s, where the, you know, the thing from mm. another world or the original fly to that. But like it's 20 years from probably yeah. when the fly with, you know, Vincent Price to the fly with Jeff Goldblum. 20 years. I mean, and the then. gaps are closer than we probably want to admit. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> is what I'm saying is that, yeah. you know, it, it yeah. back in the 80s, do you know, did people, were they getting. You know, pissed. Oh, the fly is a classic. Oh, How can you remake it? it. <laughs> yeah, another I, remake. I don't know about the fly, but that definitely held true back in the day for the thing. I know there was a lot of, you know, so dumb. sci-fi aficionados back then that were upset about them remaking the thing. They just didn't have the soapbox of a podcast. And, yeah, the soapbox of nothing other than maybe <laughs> writing a letter to Fangoria magazine. And or wait sitting four months ta- for it to get printed. So you're sitting at Taco John's and bitching about it with her friends <laughs> <laughs> without uh, without recording it. I feel attacked. Um, but yeah, that's what <laughs> that's what I definitely appreciate about this movie. We just get more of that story yeah. of the Brundle Fly story, and it's so great to get it. We're so lucky yeah. to get it. 
Is there a third one? I know. No. And when when this movie comes to the end and you're like, oh, fuck, let's make a three, Mike. I was like, <laughs> we, somebody's got to make a part three to this. That's too late now. But oh, it's never they, they could have kept going. So I was like, dang it. Hollywood taught us nothing. It's never too late. Um, yeah. And again, if we're comparing the two films, such a happy ending versus what we get with the with the Cronenberg film. Oh my god, night and day difference. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a happy ending. Yeah, which <laughs> didn't think possible. So I'm fine with it stopping there. It's a good yeah. bookend. Oh. <laughs> now I want to buy the box set. Yeah, 4K. Yeah, yeah and it, that box set's got all of them, right? Because I think, wasn't there... This the Fly, the Return of the Fly, the Curse of the Fly. Yeah, I was going to ask if there was three of the original Fly movies. Return of the ever. Fly. Oh. Yeah. Fly, Fly Again. No. <laughs> fly, fly and Die. I don't know. Okay, so moving on. Uh, what trivia do you have for Fly Here we two? go. Oh, yeah. There's a lot on this one. I'll try to get through all of it. Uh, Keanu Reeves turned down the role of Martin Brundle. Oh, wasn't just Michael J. Fox. Okay. We'll see if that's... I, I, some of this, again, is subject to... It's the internet. Kidding. That's real. Uh, all right, but going. no, uh, David Cronenberg uh, disliked this film quite a bit. Aww. Not a fan. Aww. Okay, I now I don't it. like it anymore. An alternate <laughs> ending... An alternate ending had been filmed but deleted <gasps> with which Beth joins Martin outside the boathouse with a plate of food and sits next to Martin, asks him how he feels, which he replies, he's feeling a lot better, and then a fly lands on his plate of food. This deleted ending was added at the studio's insistence to let the audience oh. know that Martin had won his happy ending, but director Chris Wallace had the crew... And the crew hated and this tacked-on scene and were happy when the test audiences also despised it. So the Foss executives agreed to drop it from the film. Sweet, huh. yeah, it's a great, it's a great ending. It's a very, it's a very Tales from the Crypt type ending where yeah. you see the comeuppance of the bad guy being put into, um, basically the situation he created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I just love. Again, it ends on a fly. Uh, but that, you know, his mutant form laying there on the ground, eating the slop and his eye looks up at that fly and then the rack focus to the fly and just ends on that credit roll. Yeah. Does that fly have a credit in this film? That fly was awesome. Good little fly actor. (laughs) It was so good. Uh, director Chris Wallace also did the special effects and puppet work on Gremlins. And he actually turned down the offer to return for Gremlins 2 to direct this movie. Good. I think it all worked out for the best. Yeah. You know. Here's here's to me the two most interesting ones. Josh Brolin revealed in an interview that he blew his audition for Martin Brundle by overcommitting to the role. Doing the metamorphosis, convulsing on the ground and foaming at the mouth, trying to put himself in the agony Martin might be going through. The filmmaker thanked him and told him it was great. When he got home, he had a message from his agent on his answering machine. When he called him back, <laughs> his a- his agent asked him, "What the fuck did you do in there?" <laughs> and, to- <laughs> and then this this is really cool. Sam Raimi was the original choice to direct oh. due to the success oh, of his wow. horror flick Evil Dead Two. Raimi and his brother Ted even wrote a treatment for the Whoa. film, which but it was rejected for being too wacky. Oh, go figure. I want to read that. I do. Me yeah, too. I do too. I'm, I'm trying to wrap my brain around a wow. universe where Sam Raimi directed Fly 2. 
I'm, I'm I can't, I can't even. Yeah, how do they you know there's the, going to be a billion POV, POV shots flies. from a fly? Yeah. How do they get that <laughs> computer to work out in the cabin? It's weird. I don't know how. That's cool. And yeah, that's that's all. There was like three pages of trivia on this one, and that to me was all the most interesting Very stuff. Cool. I think I read it in the trivia too, uh, which I thought was was funny. So his name is Mart Martin, mm-hmm. um, and at one point in the movies. Somebody calls him Marty. Oh no, Ooh. they did Marty Fly. Yeah. Marty Fly. Oh fuck. Yeah. Oh fuck. Are you? I did not put that together. Holy shit, that's hilarious. How it all works out sometimes. Yeah. So there you have it, my friends. Those are the films that uh, will be that we've discussed for this episode. But don't worry, there's still more show to come. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to finish off with our last couple of segments. First, you're going to hear a promo for our podcast network called the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. The PFPN is home to so many currently running shows. And on top of that, (laughs) I'm getting... Okay. (laughs) On top of that, we've just added The Crypt. The Crypt is a catalog of all the old shows throughout the history of the network. So now you can keep up on all the current shows as they come out and marathon all the old classic shows. You could do all that at thepfpn.com. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah, that new website's really cool. Yeah, I really... I was really impressed with it. You did a good job. Thanks. It took forever. <laughs> I, I w- okay. You know, inside baseball. Um, I, I mean, I was really impressed with the crypt because you put everything uh, stuff that you know shows that been. haven't been on the on there for a long you, time. You, a lot of times you're like, oh yeah, yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool that you included everything that's been on the network at one time or another. Okay, so um, we're back. Woo-hoo. And now we want to hear from you guys. Here's Jason with shoutouts. It's time for shoutouts. 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 Hey, we asked, what's your favorite sequels to remakes? And it's weird. Like, you never know where all these comments are going to land. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're on the group page, sometimes they're on Twitter or Instagram. They're only on the main Facebook page today. It's weird. But anyway, we got a lot of comments. And starting with Chris Anderson says, I don't know if it counts. Here we go, Tad. We're going to need your ruling on this. If it's a prequel to a sequel, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning is so good. Yeah, see, I, I, an, I inside baseball again, another topic <laughs> I suggested, or maybe I didn't suggest it, but I, it started to think about it and I couldn't find enough content that we haven't covered, but prequels to remakes. 
Yeah. Um, because we did yeah. the thing and this one, and uh, I'll, I'll give it a pass because it is it was made after, you know, the yeah, remake. Because how can you do a sequel to the freaking remake when you chomp off Leatherface's Everybody. freaking arm? <laughs> yeah, you guys. Up next, we got Lisa from the Bad Movie Bunny podcast. Attacker Lisa, that is. She says. Lisa, I thought you were cool. Man, I really liked you, Lisa. I didn't know it was going to end this way, but what? here we go. What? The second Rob Zombie Halloween sequel was better than I thought it would be. I'm not sure that's possible. Well, it's, you know, it's nobody's interesting perfect. That there's been a lot of coming around to that one over the years. I ain't doing it. I am not. I can't. I cannot. I tried and failed. Up next, we got. Up next, we got our pal and buddy, old friend. We got Brian Clark. He said, Brian. Okay, I already knew your taste. I already knew your taste were shit. I'll call you out on it. No problem. He says, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 is the second best thing in the entire franchise by a significant margin, and I will die on that hill. I love his brain. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He also says, "See the Chucky is the best." Of that yeah. What the fuck? Too. How does how does one person get so many things right and yet so many things wrong? I'll never know. Anyway, love you, Brian. Uh, <laughs> up next, we got attacker Emily Randolph. She says, "All right, here she goes." Hills have eyes too. There we go. She would like that. You know, weird bones and creatures and shits and uh, jars and stuff. You know she loves it. <laughs> uh, up next, we got Jacob McLaughlin. He says, by default, King Kong lives. It's more horror okay, adjacent, okay. but it's go. the only sequel to a remake that I actually like. Anytime King Kong has to have a heart transplant, yeah, well, I'm all for it. Yeah, it's that bound to go artificial out. Heart. Yeah. It's bound to go out. They can give King Kong an artificial heart, but they... Is that what he's doing? He's just trying to get his heart going again? I think so. Okay. And uh, lastly, our good old buddy, old pal, the Reapster. Going to go with Godzilla, King of Monsters from a few years ago. And I'll second the King Kong Lives. Okay. I haven't seen King Kong Lives in forever. And I... I can still remember the first time ever seeing it because I was a huge fan as a child of the King Kong remake from the 70s, the Dino De Laurentiis King Kong. Mm-hmm. And I still think it's I still think it's good. And then remember watching King Kong Liz for the first time thinking, oh, it's been a few years, you know, um, tech, you know effects technology is even better. And just remembering on how shitty it looked in comparison, there's a scene where he fights alligators but it's clearly little tiny baby alligators. Hmm. Hmm. I want to uh, watch it again. Linda Linda Hamilton is in that one. Turn to her. Yeah. She's cool. She's a twin. Is Skull Island a sequel to the Jack Black movie? I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> uh, all right. So. But, the, but there are. Yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah. Yeah. The, the versus one is great. Yep. Uh, yeah, so that's that. That's what we... Oh, what is that over there? About forgot. You know what time it is. <laughs> hey, everybody. Attacker Brian here for my bi-weekly phone call. And it sounds like the podcast crew is talking <laughs> sequels to remakes. 
remakes of sequels? No. no. Uh, I, I don't know. Anyways, there's a lot of right answers. There's a couple yeah. wrong answers. But I think the best answer is a movie that is a sequel, but is also a remake. And that's Evil Dead 2. Because it's a sequel to the first movie, but it's also a remake of the first movie. <laughs> and it's all that in one. So wouldn't that be the perfect answer? I don't know. <laughs> who, who knows? Godzilla and Tex Chainsaw Massacre and King Kong and all that other stuff thrown in there. But it's one of my favorites. Hope you guys are having a good winter. We're all snowed in. And you're staying warm. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Godzilla. Uh, Tad, ruling. We're going to need a ruling on that. Evil Dead 2. That's a requel. There you go. So, lay off the sauce, Brian. Okay. I'll I'll give it to him because I love Brian. Yeah. Yeah. If we're going with the rules of, of, of remake or sequels of a remake, then the right answer to that one would have been Army of Darkness, right? Or right. Evil Dead Rise. Well, well yeah. Definitely that's, that. that's the real, real answer. But Army of Darkness it doesn't refer to Evil Dead in any way. It refers to, refers Evil, Dead to Evil Dead 2. But even still, they still remake God, Evil much. Dead in the first five minutes of, Ramey, uh, what the fuck of were you Army doing? Darkness. What were you doing? And is Evil is Evil Dead Rise a sequel to a requel? Oh, boy. Ten. We can do sequels to requels. I love it. Sounds cool. I just pulled a hammy. <laughs> and you, too, can leave your voicemail on the show. Give us a call at 415-952-6857. That's 415-95-AOTKP. Leave us that voicemail. We'll play it on the show. We'll probably make fun of it. And that is <laughs> shout-outs. But up next. People don't besides Brian. I know. Somebody. I know you guys have phones. You're always texting and shit while you're driving. Assholes. Put it down. Yeah. You can have, like, AI sent. You can type it out and have AI send a exactly. message. Please, somebody send us AI. Oh, I would love what, AI ones. What would it sound like, Mike? <laughs> it would sound like. Stephen this. Hawking. <laughs> All right. One more segment to go. It's time for Insane's Picks. His nose. Um, So since we're talking remakes this episode, I thought I'd do a remake here on Insane's Picks. In 1932, James Wales made the horror classic... The Old Dark House, featuring Bella Lug- or Boris Karloff. But I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about the William Castle 1963 comedy remake, The Old Dark House, featuring Tom Poston. That's right, the handyman from the TV show Newhart. So this movie um, is... It's it's pretty funny. I just I really dig those uh, like comedies from the '60s, that Technicolor and all that, and some of the goofy slapstick stuff. Um, the story goes: an American salesman plans to visit his roommate and his roommate's family at an old mansion in London. He arrives shortly after his roommate's death. He is invited to spend the night with the family, but they are then killed off one by one. 
They were all heirs to the family estate, and one of them wants to be the sole surviving heir. This version definitely plays way more into the comedy than the original. It almost kind of has a Scooby-Doo feel about it. Uh, Tom Poston stars as Tom, uh, Tom Pederell as the American who gets caught up in the femme family of shenanigans and the whole night of madness. Uh, the film also stars Robert, Robert Morley, uh, Jeanette Scott, Peter Bull, uh, Joyce Grinfeld, Mervyn Johns, and Danny Green. And the coolest part for me, one thing I really dug, the opening credit graphics were drawn by Charles Adams, the creator and artist of the original Adams Family comic strip. Uh, Oakley Court, which is the exterior of the castle in the film, was also the same one used for Rocky Horror Picture Show. So yeah, I really dig comedies again from this era, and also being a big William Castle fan, it is great to see a film without outside of the normal stuff that he would do. I think this is probably his only really full comedy he's ever done. So you can check it out. I know it's on Tubi. That's where I watched it. I was so excited to find it, trying to uh, fill in the holes of the William Castle filmography of stuff I haven't seen. And this one is super fun. Definitely check it out. The Old Dark House. Cool. Spooky. <laughs> that's right. So that's it, folks. That's it for this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening, and I want to thank our supporters, the Attackers, keeping the show going and growing. So cool. Very cool. Uh, if you want more Attack of the Killer Podcast in your life, you can check us out on the TikToks, the Facebooks, the UbiTubes, um, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, will you please? For yeah, God's sake. Quit fucking around. And just, just subscribe. Just, I don't care if you watch any of the shit. Just subscribe. <laughs> He's not kidding. Although, you should definitely get on there and be checking out uh, all the uh, recasting with Christian Slater's we've been posting on there, mm. what Jason's been yes. posting on there. Oh, my God. I, I always forget how amazing those are. Should have had Andy committed long before all. <laughs> what, was the one, what was one of the newer ones that you posted here not too long ago I just listened to? and God dang, it about went off the road listening to it. <laughs> so freaking funny. Uh, uh, God damn it. Mm. Oh, way to screech the end of the yep, show to the hall. Way to go, way to go. To all, that's great. Okay, you can also check us out on Instagram and threads, which I still haven't checked out myself. So, thanks everybody for listening. We will talk to you again on the next episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Oh no, could this be the end of? <laughs> Attack of the Killer Podcast.